Welcome to the Crow's Nest. Today I'm going to be talking to Alex Walmsley. He is a facilitator of a project of the Church of the Apostles that was started by John, who is also a member of the steering committee of the Guelph Tool Library. Kitchen Bees is something that I have volunteered with before, so I'm really excited to be sharing this project. I think that I think that getting the word out on small projects like this that have the potential and do make a huge impact on their local communities, I think sharing them is, is really important. I think it's it's important to see the work that our community members are doing. My name is Alex Wamsley. I'm the facilitator for the Kitchen Bees program this summer at the Church of the Apostles. I started working in early May, working through late August. And my job is to sort of organize the volunteer activity with the program, make sure ingredients are in the kitchen, sanitize the kitchen before and after volunteers come in, and just sort of smooth over the general operations of, of the day-to-day work that goes on here at the church. Sounds like a good job. <laughs> yeah, it's been really fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. Do you want to tell the listeners <laughs> what Kitchen Bees is? Sure. So the Kitchen Bees program is an initiative that was started through the Church of the Apostles in late April or early May of this year. So right after the COVID-19 pandemic really started to hit quite hard and all the churches had closed and universities were closed, all the students at schools were sent home. The rector at the church, Naomi, and John Dennis, who also does some work with the, who does quite a lot of work with the tool library as far as I know, they had this space in the church with a health inspected kitchen and a ton of community support in terms of people who really wanted to help out. So they thought it would be a really good opportunity to start this program up. What we do is we have volunteers in three days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, for between two and four hours. And they make a wide variety of meals from soups to stews. We've done lasagna. Uh, Every Thursday we do a batch of sandwiches or something else single serving for a community group in Guelph called The Bench, which is run by a fantastic guy named Ed Pickersgill. And we send out the food either fresh or frozen, depending on who is receiving it. A lot of it goes out frozen these days. It's just easier for the Guelph Community Support Coalition and Hope House who receive a lot of our stuff. Awesome. That sounds amazing. How much food have you made? Do you know? So we're, as of the end of last week, I haven't tabulated this week yet. Usually I do that Thursday or Friday. The end of last week, we're sitting at around 3,600 meals. That's crazy. And you've been in operation for, what, that's three months? Yeah, I think we started, our first day was May 7th. So we've been running since then. Wow, that's incredible. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a wild ride and it's been a really fun thing to be a part of for sure. So how has it been facilitating a program like this? Have you ever done that before? (laughs) No, I have not. This is sort of my first experience in terms of doing administrative work on a large scale. My other work experience is in aquatics. I I was a lifeguard and a pool supervisor for a few years up to the end of high school and into the start of my university experience. That all ended as of March because all the pools closed due to the pandemic. So I was sort of up in the air in terms of what I was going to be doing with my summer. And I got in touch with John, who I'd done some work with for the Urban Sugaring Project, which is another initiative that he runs. And he was looking for someone who had time and energy to help out. And I was looking for a job and it ended up being a really good fit for the both of us. I actually was part of, I guess, like the precursor to Kitchen Bees. 
Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So I live like down the street from the church. And just before, I guess in April, John messaged me and said, hey, the seed has a whole bunch of corn that they have. It's going bad. Tons and tons of corn. They had so much food. It was right at the beginning of the pandemic when everything shut down. And um, yeah. they've basically gotten this huge donation from all of these restaurants that had ordered a whole bunch of food and then had to cancel those orders. And so the suppliers just had crazy amounts. And so they mm -hmm. had so much food and we just we took as much corn as we could feasibly like handle and then me and my roommates just went over and just boiled corn for a couple hours and then <laughs> shucked it out or like got it off the cob and and yeah and then like a week later John was like hey do you know anyone who needs a job because I'm trying to start this program <laughs> yeah that sounds awesome that's actually yeah. an experience we've had quite a bit with the seed due to all the sort of food uncertainty and and how Deliveries work for large food service businesses. They have received a ton of very weird amounts of food that we've been receiving, and, and we're extremely grateful for it. For example, they had a semi-trailer come through that was completely full of beef. So for the past couple of months, we've been using really large roasts. There's a member of the church community called Paul who's been taking them home, roasting them, and then we've been slicing them up for sandwiches on Thursdays. So that's been awesome. And we're flush with ground beef. We must have gone through at least 100 pounds of it so far. Wow, that is crazy. You guys go through a lot of food, I bet. It's a fair bit. Yeah, we're up over 1,000 kilos now. Wow. Oh, yeah. my goodness. What's it like doing that? Because I guess you would make your recipes based on the donations that you get. Yeah, it's kind of an, an interesting puzzle to sort of work out. We get our donation from the seed on Wednesdays. We have lovely volunteers named Susan and Tia who go over there and pick it up for us. And it's sort of like opening up a Christmas present when they arrive at the church. Because <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. Sometimes it's 18 kilograms of cream cheese. Sometimes it's four bushels of zucchini. And then we take that on the Wednesday and... Over the weekend, we try to figure out how we can best get that out into the community. So, for example, we did a ton of bagels and cream cheese, and we made a vegetable ragu with the zucchini and a bunch of soups that used it. It's kind of interesting going from very odd quantities of food, very, very good, very fresh food. But, yeah, getting it out is an interesting task to sort of be involved in. Yeah, that sounds like it. Have you had any experiences where you were kind of like stumped with what you had? Cream cheese. Yeah, we have done pretty much everything you can imagine with cream cheese. We still have about six kilos in the fridge. We've done, as I said, bagels. We've done mac and cheese with cream cheese. We've done canned salmon cream cheese roll-ups that we, we've sent over to the bench. Basically, if it could possibly be made out of cream cheese, we have made it in the kitchen. Yeah, I think not last time, but maybe one of the times that I was volunteering in the kitchen there, John kept trying to like send me home with a kilo. He's like, take a bucket. Like, <laughs> take come on. Bucket. Absolutely. That's been our biggest head scratcher is the cream cheese. But it's it's given us some really good meals and we've gotten really good feedback from the people who've received those. So yeah. all's well that ends well, I suppose. Amazing. As for recipes that you've made, have you had any like favorite ones that you want to share? We do a lot of chili. We've gotten pretty good at chili. <laughs> because we have so much ground beef, it's actually really freeing because that ends up being the most expensive part of a chili most of the time. So having that sort of expense side freed up, we have a lot more freedom to 
include really nice vegetables, make large quantities so that we're able to support a large number of people. Another one that we've done a couple of times is butter chicken. We get a lot of chicken in, usually frozen, almost always frozen. And that's a really good and really popular thing that we've done. I think this is the coolest thing. I love programs like this. This is really fun to talk about. They're so fun. Projects like this are sort of the highlight of my life sometimes, where it's like I never meet better people anywhere else. Like you meet the most wonderful people doing things like this, and you just have like the most like wholesome, genuinely happy experiences of like helping others. It's so nice. Yeah, it's something that I hadn't experienced a lot of before I, I started getting involved with both the Urban Sugaring Project and Kitchen Bees. So it's been a really enlightening experience for me to sort of get involved with the sharing economy in Guelph and the support systems that are in place for the less advantaged people. I think it adds a lot of value to a job or a volunteer position when you're wholeheartedly doing it for others, you know? Exactly, yeah. And I mean, I look at it this way. Otherwise, I would have been at home collecting a check from the government for the whole summer. And now I get to come to work every day and meet new people and feel like I'm making good in the community. So it's been really fulfilling for me. That's really lovely to hear. I'm really glad for you. Speaking of that, have you had a good turnout for volunteers? Yeah, it's kind of odd in that it comes in fits and starts. At the beginning of the program, we had tons of interest. We had no trouble booking three days a week. We had lots of families coming in because parents were either off work or working from home. In the last few weeks, there haven't been as many of those families coming in because more people are going back to work and kids are getting ready for school and university students are either going through their summer exams or moving back to wherever they are coming from. We've had a really good core group of volunteers who've come back a few times. So that's been really good because they get to know the kitchen. They get to know how everything operates. And it's a really good experience for them as well as us, I hope. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a good experience. I know my experience as a kitchen has been really positive. I've always enjoyed coming down and just chopping zucchinis for a couple hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was one of our big deliveries from the seed. The week before you came in, we had two giant boxes of tomatoes and three giant boxes of zucchini and a giant box of cucumbers. So it's amazing food that we get. You know, I I had kind of thought coming into a position like this, we'd be mostly getting non-perishables and stuff like that and trying to work with a lot of canned food. And it's turned out that we get like fresh vegetables and fresh meat and all sorts of really beautiful produce that I'm really glad that we get to share with other members of the community. I really love just like hearing responses like that. So how has the community response been? Have you had a lot of people reach out to you about it or or tell you what they're thinking about the program? Yeah, so we've had all sorts of responses. One of the more memorable ones was we were cooking in the church one day and Because the building is technically closed, we're the only sort of program running out of it. We don't get any or many visitors. And we, you know, there were there were volunteers in the kitchen and I was doing my 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 budgeting work. And there was a knock on the door and I went down and there were two ladies who had seen the sign outside the church and were super enthusiastic about getting involved. And they gave me their contact info and they've ended up coming back three times to cook with us. So just people walking by. We've had other responses. Dan Evans, who works with the Guelph Neighborhood Support Coalition, 
he liaises with all of the 13 neighborhood groups in Guelph. So he's been really useful in sort of feedback in terms of what types of food those neighborhood groups are looking for. We do a lot of large family meals now, as well as individual servings, because there is a need for that in the community. So having sort of a contact with other people who provide this kind of work in Guelph has been really fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Have you gotten any responses from the people receiving your food? So I don't do a lot of the actual boots on the ground distribution of the food. Mm. So most of what I hear is either through Dan or through one of our other partners who run the community food pantries and our partners at Hope House who get some of our soups. But I know from delivering uh, downtown to the bench, when I or another one of our volunteers, Lori, pulls up with a trunk full of sandwiches and cold drinks and cut up vegetables, we get a lot of smiles from the people who are there getting some help from Ed. So it's really nice to be occasionally going and seeing those people and meeting them and, and saying hi and they can put a face to the name on the label. Yeah, that sounds really uplifting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Has there been anything that you have like really learned or taken away from your experience working with the Kitchen Bee so far? Yeah, work follows you home, I guess, is one of the, yeah. is, is one of the things I found. When I was working in aquatics, it tended to be you would show up for work, do your shift, and head home, and there wasn't a whole lot of working from home or thinking about it outside of work hours. But it's been really interesting to you know be, be sending emails late at night and trying to organize people and you know putting these pieces of the puzzle together. So that's been really interesting. The other thing is that food gets expensive. So we have some fantastic supporters in the Wealth Wellington United Way and the Sprott Foundation Second Harvest Food Rescue, who have been very generous financial donors to the program. And we go out and we shop most weeks because the things we get from the seed aren't necessarily whole meals by themselves. So we go out with gift cards that we've received from the Sprott Foundation or money that we've received from Wealth Wellington United Way or money that we get from private and anonymous donors through the church community. And we've found that it does add up. So having that support has been really excellent because I don't think we'd be able to run the program without it. Mm -hmm. Does the program, is it running indefinitely? The current format is going to run until August 27th. So we have volunteers booked right through until the end of the summer. And there are plans to use additional funding that we've got to extend the program into the fall on a more limited basis. So it would probably be one day a week rather than three and probably more fresh food and less frozen meals. Makes sense. You touched on an interesting point earlier when you were talking about working from home. I think that that comes as like a difference in like adult jobs. You know, like, yes, I, like, I totally agree with you. The Guelph Tool Library is sort of my first job that is more responsibility. You know, mm. most of them that I've had have been serving or retail or something where I have like steps that I do every single day, like repetitive. Yeah. Whereas this one, I found it really interesting to sort of transition my view of careers as something that like you have to, I always thought like, yeah, you leave it at the office. That's always what you do. And I never understood people who, you know, took their job home. And then I got a job yeah. that I had to take home. And it makes so much more sense now. Like you literally cannot put it down or you're 
a million years behind. No, and it uses way more of your creativity than those other jobs. It which definitely does. A good thing and sometimes a, a little bit tiring, but it's certainly an interesting look into what careers are later in life. I know I'm a student and a lot of other young people who are working those kinds of entry-level positions where you're just either serving or you're maybe doing the same operation over and over again for many hours, and it doesn't really involve your passion or your creativity. Whereas yeah. something like this, you do have to care and you're rewarded for caring. Yeah, definitely. You can't go into autopilot. No. You really have to be very mindful in all of your moments. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely agree with you on that one. After Kitchen Bees, you'll be going back to school? Yeah, I'm going into my second year in wildlife biology and conservation at the University of Guelph. I'm moving into town. I've been crashing my parents' place for the last few months, and I'll be taking classes pretty much full-time online. So that'll be an adventure in itself. Yeah, I know a lot of people are struggling with that. That's one good thing, I guess, has that's come out of um, me having this opportunity with Kitchen Bees is learning how to work effectively from home, which previously to this, I was not so great at. It's hard. Home is so distracting. It is. You got family members or pets or things breaking or leaking and never seems to be the time to do work or school. Yeah, truly. For myself, I'm the type of person like I need to be like completely alone to get anything done. Like I get distracted so easily by other people and yeah. I live with my partner and roommates. And so I literally don't have a single area in my home that is only mine. And so I'm sure. almost never alone. And so it, it's so hard to get things done sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having maybe a little bit more privacy, although I am moving in with a, with a bunch of really good roommates. Oh, at least they're really good roommates. Yeah. So what are you planning on doing with the wildlife and biology? Yeah, I would I would love to get into conservation work or research involving wildlife. I've been camping since I was a little kid and I love the outdoors. It's really what means most to me. I did a program in high school through the Kelp Headwaters program at the Upper Grand District School Board in Guelph. And I was teaching outdoor ed programming. I ended up going back for a co-op and continuing on with that. And it was a really fantastic experience for me. And I'm I'm looking to continue in that direction. So whether that be working in parks or working in research or any sort of public service work, I would like to be involved in conservation. That sounds really cool. Is there a draw to conservation, like, specifically? Sure, yeah. I mean, it's, I guess, that Guelph is a very green city. And I really love getting out into the parks and walking along the river. And I know that in other parts of Canada, maybe in other parts of the world, those green spaces are, are disappearing fairly quickly. And I I would really like to be involved in keeping those places accessible for people and educating people on their importance and maybe why they should care a little bit more about that, in my opinion. I don't know if I could give you a logical answer as to why I'm drawn to that, but it's what's always felt right to me. That's a very logical answer. (laughs) I resonate with that very practical reason for wanting to go into conservation. Well, thank you. (laughs) I don't think many other reasons would actually make much more sense than... That's what I'm hoping. I don't know if I have any more questions about kitchen bees, but I am interested in talking to you about like camping because I like camping. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Ask away. Where have your favorite places to camp been? I really am in love with Algonquin Park. Um, I've been going there since I was a very small child. Uh, 
I think I was carried through my first camping trip up there with my parents. I've also been to Killarney quite a few times. I like getting out to Georgian Bay and sea kayaking out through the islands there. But really, my, my heart lives up in Algonquin. My older brother and I both love it dearly. He's up there working right now at one of the outfitters. He's been there for years. He loves it. I love going up and visiting. And I think that was part of the push to, to go into conservation. Is Actually, that's one of the, I guess, inspirations was I was reading about the park's history. And there are something like 4,000 kilometers of logging roads in Algonquin Park. And it's still a super active logging area. And I had no idea because it's never publicized. So there's this place that, you know, is very special to me. And I've gone back to on solo trips with with loved ones in the middle of winter on snowshoes with a group of 24 grade 10 students. And I found out that there's this big conservation dilemma between the logging companies who have been there for sometimes 100 or 150 years taking trees out and the conservationists who would like to keep it as a haven for some of the unique species that are there, like uh, eastern gray wolf and the Blanding's turtle. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of this tug of war (laughs) between some competing interest groups. That was one of the inspirations for me to go into conservation was was to do something about that. I I went to Algonquin once last year with a group of friends and I was really surprised. We were hiking one of the smaller trails and I was reading the guidebook and it was just talking all about like this logging history that's so crazy. Like I never really would have connected one of Canada's like most famous preserved parks with, with logging operations. Yeah, like and and if you do some reading, you'll find that there's almost no actual old growth forest left in Algonquin. Um, Whoa, it was almost, really? It was almost all logged at one point. So this kind of patch 22 of, you know, it's this really famous, quote unquote, pristine landscape that really has been really heavily impacted by industry. Yeah, that's crazy. I did not know that. This is now completely off topic, but I'm (laughs) excited. I am going on a portage at the end of the month. This is my first portage. I've never done anything like this. We're going up to Killarney. Amazing. And yeah, we're going to, there's... We're portaging to Lake Nelly, which oh, I guess is very famous. I've been wanting to do that trip for years. I was trying ah. to do it this summer. I was trying to find someone who would go with me, and everybody was busy, and then I ended up being busy. With you. Oh, uh, I no. think you are going to have a blast. It is it is supposed to be one of the most gorgeous places in Ontario. That's what I've heard. My memory serves. It's a lot of uphill, but I think it's worth it. I'm very nervous. All of my friends are tree planters, so they've just come back from the season completely ripped from throwing <laughs> like 100,000 trees in the ground. Yeah. And so I'm going to be like absolutely the weakest member there. Just um, tell them to carry the canoe. <laughs> yeah. No, I will definitely not be carrying any canoes. I tried. We were practicing in my backyard and I like could not even get it on my shoulders. There's an art to it. I've just gotten sort of passable at it, but I know my, my brother and his friends just toss them up there and run around with them. Pretty I know, incredible. it's so crazy. They're literally like sprinting around the backyard with like a canoe on their head. <laughs> I so guess I tree planting will do that for you. Yeah, honestly, tree planting is insane. I've never met a crazier profession, honestly. <laughs> but you have to be a, a certain kind of person to go out into the woods for months at a time with no contact 
I guess it is sort of the same concept of it's a job where you're doing tangible good in the world, right? Honestly, not really from my perspective. There is definitely people who feel that way. And that is a valid standpoint to take, I think. It's sort of like putting like a Band-Aid on a broken leg. There's a conflict of interest there too. Yeah, definitely. There definitely is. And I know that even just tree planting is better than no tree planting. But it's not fixing the problem, you know? Like it's, it's just sort of prolonging the issue. For sure. And there's also problems with how they do it. Like I know, especially out in BC, they've had problems with really large monocultures. Like they'll yeah. just plant Sitka spruce, for example, and hundreds of acres of it with nothing else in there. And it becomes sort of this habitat dead zone for for diversity. But I can certainly see how, how, there, oh, are, are, how there are some issues. Yeah, the companies, they only plant, I think, like maybe four or five different species of tree and mm-hmm. they're they're planting acres and acres it's it's absolutely insane and and yeah it's just like i i mean my issues are obviously with like logging as a whole you look at a map of bc and put it onto satellite and you just see it's not green anymore you know like you'll you scroll yeah. into the okanagan valley and it's this like huge gray scar mm-hmm. where they've just completely stripped it unnecessarily they clear cut the block even yeah. when they don't take all of the trees. Not all of them are, like, viable. And yeah, so, they just cut everything. Yeah, it, it really looks like it's a wasteland. Like, my friends will send me photos, and here's where I'm planting. And, you know, you see the mountains in the distance, and it's beautiful. And then, like, up close is just, like, a 30-foot-high pile of dead brown trees and then dirt, as far as the eye can see. Yeah. So it's sad. It's sad, I think. Mm-hmm. There needs to be more people in conservation and, and remediation. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I hope that the governments will see it as something more valuable than they currently do in the future. Me too. Thank you for coming on. It's been super nice to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I've had a lot of fun. Awesome. Okay. Well, have a good one, Alex. (laughs) You too. See you soon. So yeah, I thought this was a really fun interview. Uh, Alex and I definitely connected on a lot of points, both to do with kitchen bees and also just personally. I, I loved talking about Um, these small projects that make a big impact and how lovely the experience of sharing is. I think that that is something that could be missing from a lot of people's lives. It's it's just that do-gooder feeling that I find really propelling and really vital to how I would want to live my life, I suppose. Um, And I really advocate, I think that everyone should volunteer. I think that it's a really important aspect to, outside of just in your own personal life, doing the best you can, but really dedicating time and energy to community organizations that are working towards the betterment of the lives of the other people in your community. And I thought it was very interesting how connected the organizations that run programming, like the Kitchen Bees, are. I think even in just this one conversation with Alex, the Guelph Tool Library was mentioned, the Church of the Apostles, Hope House, the Bench, the GNSC, uh, United Way of Guelph Wellington Dufferin, Second Chance Employment, who provided the funding for Alex's position, The Seed, which provided donations and food. Um, There were so many organizations that came together outside of the individual people, the volunteers who were keeping the program running. There were so many organizations that were standing behind Kitchen Bee, so I definitely took notice of the truly village effort that goes into 
programming. And it also, I think, raised the question, or at least for me, I wondered, or maybe this is a, a question that I'll have to find the answer to with another guest, but in regards to... I can remember from my own experience that I mentioned prior the forming of Kitchen Bees when I went with... I went to the seed to pick up some produce um, at the beginning of COVID, and I was astounded by how much that they had and, and how much they really were hoping that we could take. Um, and I left there wondering, you know, feeling bad that... that we couldn't take more food than we had, um, despite the fact that we were definitely at the capacity of what we could handle at the time. I worried about the rest of the stocks of produce that they had and, and what would happen to it and how really tragic it would be if it had to go to waste. So I had wondered maybe how much food waste there really is out there, you know? That if an organization like The Seed had, had skids and skids full of mushrooms and cucumbers and tomatoes and corn to be given a home. You know, how much food, how much of that food doesn't have a home? And I know that that information is definitely out there. In the future, I'll talk to someone about this because it's not an answer that I have currently, but it's something that I'm interested in learning. So that's a point for another day, I suppose. I really enjoyed talking to Alex about conservation and tree planting, which, disclaimer, I don't I have never been tree planting. I did vet all of the information that I said here to a tree planter, and he did not correct me on anything, so, so I feel confident in information given here. But it seems that this interview is just opening more doors than it's closing, because I have left many ideas of, of future guests that I would like to talk to, because there's so much, so much I don't know. I would love to know more about tree planting, um, and how environmental tree planting is. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you.